Tonight, an ongoing investigation spanning the entire U.S. South. Yesterday, I took responsibility for Virginia content that appeared on my page in the Eastern Virginia Medical School yearbook that was clearly racist and offensive. I am not and will not excuse the content of the photo. Are you still able to move My wife says inappropriate circumstances. Florida. A blackface scandal. Out of the gate, we start with big breaking news. Florida's Secretary of State resigning. Hey guys, a Tallahassee newspaper has obtained pictures of Mike Hurtel in blackface. And now, the Georgia governor's mansion and the state's most renowned university. I don't think it was um, an, an accident. I think it was intentional. And sometimes people try to suppress votes. Frontline and ProPublica reporter A.C. Thompson brings you inside the institutions that continue to further the dynamics that threaten to tear the country apart. You really don't know who I am. Genie, wishes, lamb, none of that ringing a bell. Over the past few years, I've been reporting on a resurgent strain of racial hatred in groups that have helped them enter the mainstream conversations. But nothing could have prepared me for reporting this story or what came next. We've always known that racial animus is rife throughout our institutions. That animus has been brought to the forefront of the news cycle in recent weeks, with numerous photos being unearthed of public officials wearing racially insensitive costumes. But when I got a tip to go visit the Hall of Records at the University of Georgia, alma mater of Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, I had no idea what to expect. Okay, we're here at the University of Georgia in Athens. The, uh, the, the school boasts hundreds of noteworthy alumni, including Chef Alton Brown, REM frontman Michael Stipe, and sex creep Ryan Seacrest. Hi, I'm, I'm with PBS Frontline and ProPublica. I'm looking for the yearbook records or, or past issues of the yearbook, specifically 1986. Okay, so here we got the book. Um, we're in the case. Here he is. Here's his picture. A nice-looking picture. Apparently, Kemp was also a member of the Coon Dog Hunting Club. So let's flip to that page. Here we are. Okay, here, Coon Dog Hunting Club. Their crest here at the top of the page. Their motto right below it says, "Yes, this club is exactly what it sounds like." And look, there he is. That's that's him. Is that him? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's the governor. And and that's not it. Look, there's like dozens of pictures in here. This is wow. It took a while, but we managed to get some time with Governor Kemp, who just recently won the highest office in the state after a controversial election, where many alleged that he did everything in his power as Georgia's Secretary of State to disenfranchise black voters, who would have presumably voted for his opponent, so, Stacey Governor Abrams. Kemp, one thing we wanted to get your comment on, and I, I don't think anyone has seen this yet, is, uh, is your pictures. In the 1986 University of Georgia yearbook, I wanted to give you a chance to explain some of these photos. My pictures? I don't understand. What's the problem here? I'm just dressed normally. Just just take a look, sir. I'm not in blackface. I'm not in a clan hood or anything of the like. I'm just wearing a regular polo. Right. Well, given your history of overtly racist policies and the way you targeted voter suppression against black communities, the neo-Nazi robocalls against your opponent, isn't it a little disingenuous for you to not be wearing blackface in your yearbook? I don't follow. Don't you think it's fair to say that the people of Georgia who voted for you, they voted for you with certain expectations? 
do you think that by not having blackface or clan hoods you're you're kind of letting them down how can the racist voters of georgia your constituents trust you if you never wore blackface in college now hold on a second just because there's no pictures of me in blackface doesn't mean i never wore blackface are you denying that you never wore blackface sir just one moment here are these or are these not your pictures in this yearbook from the 80s with no blackface you need to understand the context the coon dog hunting club has a proud tradition of of racism yes we we read the club's charter we know that yes of course you need to understand i was a kid you were 26 a kid who assumed that the racism was part and parcel with joining the club hell the damn club's called the coon dog hunting club i didn't know i'd be governor one day if the people of Georgia think me not wearing blackface in college disqualifies me from being their governor. Mr. Kemp, I think it's fair to say you were a racist secretary of state. You campaigned as a racist. You govern like a racist. You enacted exact match laws that disproportionately affect black voters. You limited polling access in black communities. You made a campaign ad where you threatened to extrajudicially deport Mexican people in your pickup truck. The people of Georgia were promised a racist governor, sir. That's what they voted for. How can you expect them to have faith in you when you didn't even have the indecency to wear blackface or a clan hood in your college pictures? This interview is over. Listen, I was a kid. I was young. Governor Kemp ended our interview abruptly, but a week later he invited us back to the governor's mansion to observe a hastily scheduled photo shoot. Well, you boys at PBS made a fair point, and to be honest, yeah, a, a little more right there. A little, it's still a lot on the cheek. To be honest. I'm not sure America is ready for a southern governor who hasn't been photographed wearing blackface or a clan hood, and I'm pretty sure the good people of Georgia aren't either. So you've set up this photo session and you're, you're getting painted in blackface right now, and you're, you're going to release these photos on social media? Right. All across social media. Everywhere. I understand I made a mistake and I'm prepared to do the work to fix it. Okay, governor, say cheese. <laughs> you're not going to catch me with that one again. No! I'm Q. <laughs> and I'm Jewish Dave. And this is Bird Road. This is Bird Road. I just want to like let everyone know, Jewish Dave said nipples in that like, I just want to, I mean, I, I know. Or did I? <laughs> or did he? I guess we'll never know. You'll have to hack the Squadcast servers to find I out did, for, I, for I just sure. look for so many ways to get out of saying that word and here I am pretending like maybe I did. <laughs> uh yeah we're gonna get we're gonna get canceled one day but that's not gonna be the way that it happens we're gonna get we're gonna get removed from all airwaves but it's not gonna be for for that word sorry guys nice try assholes but for now nice we're try. here for now, for now we're, we're here. here who cares what's going on q <sighs> what's up with you man you want you have anything you want to promote really quick any 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 um any trips that you're about to take that you want to talk about and uh, the program and itinerary of what it is that you're up, going to be up to on those trips? Well, I'm going to uh, Sedona with our dogs in, in a month. <laughs> cockamamie motherfucker. Don't tell me about your fucking trips with your dogs. I love people I, taking trips with their dogs like that's a fucking thing. I am going to Miami, Florida, and I'm going to visit my best friend Q. So My dog has never left Coral Gables. <laughs> Your dog never left the block. He's never left the block, except when we move. Because you know why? Because he's a fucking dog. 
<laughs> he doesn't care. He yeah, literally well. doesn't give a shit. He's going to die so happy having never seen anything but like northern downtown Coral Gables in his whole we, life. You know when I just said I'm going to Miami to visit my best friend Q? I was fucking lying. My best friends are my dogs, so fucking well, take that. I mean, that's kind of a cell phone. That's not that doesn't that doesn't hurt me. I know it doesn't. It means nothing whatsoever. I'm just a voice on the other end of a box. It's <laughs> That's all I am. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm coming to Miami for Thursday, February 21st, Live Bird Road episode. Let's fix this busted city. Is that what it's called? Fix this busted ass city. Busted ass Ciudad city. Ciudad Madre. Nice. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be a live show, our, our second one of many that we plan on doing. And uh, we got some great guests. Why don't you tell us about the guests that you got lined up? We, um, friend of the show, Billy Corbin, Cocaine Cowboys fame, uh, being Mr. Miami kind of guy fame, uh, will be, will be there. Uh, we got a few more guests coming in the works, uh, Nucleus Shelton from the AFL CIO. is going to come talk about labor and about opportunities to make Miami a better place to work and better place to be a worker. Um, <clears throat> what's going on? I'm piecing it together, Dave. Uh, well, tomorrow I promised we were going to have two entire episodes on the ridiculous movie that is Serenity, and tomorrow is that, episode two. And then um, on Friday, actually, we have a special... You are giving more... Like, you and the critical community are giving more attention to that movie than the writers of that movie gave it, to it writing that it. movie. It deserves it. And I, you know what, Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, they made this big thing about how they're like so upset about how the studio basically dropped the film as soon as it was released. Yeah. Um, and we're doing the, the, the work for them. And I, I'm perfectly happy doing that because I mean, this is like almost the room levels of ridiculousness. It's so funny um, unintentionally, but it's so funny and it's so worth talking about. Um, and then uh, on Friday, we're doing a breaking it up part episode on the wizard of oz featuring uh two of the main members of black camaro brian garth and tom miller and uh they actually have a new album coming out this friday as well called protocol of dreams so i've got them uh, on to talk about wizard of oz and uh talk about the album so it's a fun episode um maybe should we fin should we should we follow up the um biting commentary that we made in our opening skit about the nat- the true nature of racism and representative politic politics by um, chiming in on the the whole anti-Semitism thing that's kind of popping off on Twitter right now with um, Ilan Omar. No, this is happening right now. This is one of those fucking Israel things, dude. I'm so tired of. Let me tell you, it was funny because I, I I made fun of this when I joined um when I joined DSA. Uh, the first DSA meeting that I ever went to that I ever went to was an hour and a half long and 55 minutes of it was devoted to Israel and, and the BDS movement. Yeah. This is a local Miami. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Miami is, uh, you know, a, 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 a hub for your people. Um, but like still it's a local chapter of a, of a socialist organization. Yeah. And there's so many things to talk to, talk about and deal with. And I, I, I don't know if you haven't heard me do a lot of, Israel Palestine stuff on the show, and, and you're, that's you're like probably like Gina on this. Yeah, like I'm. Yeah, that, that's uh, like the whole fucking liberals. But it's uh, too much. It's too fucking much. Like, <laughs> leave leave me alone with that. It's. I mean, I'm I'm aligned. Like, I think I think Israel is a 
fucking apartheid state and i don't think that that's anything i mean like it'd be really hard to argue otherwise even though they have billions of dollars to spend arguing otherwise every day and a lot of people that will hear this will disagree with me but um like that's my opinion fuck it like and it doesn't matter if i felt the other way neither neither one of them would affect the outcome of what's happening in israel or or palestine i stay i stay out of the israeli conversation because well yeah because of family shit yeah my 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 parents they're you know they're the kind of jews are like oh israel can do no wrong and i just i couldn't give two shits about there's no way that your dad has an opinion on israel it's your mom I, i don't think he does um yeah i think i think it's mostly my mom ilhan omar is from minnesota she's a representative um just sort of like one of the progressive women that was that was uh voted in on a, a raft of um leftist you know fervor in the most recent congressional elections and she uh, is basically just calling out apac and a bunch of um you know just generally calling out and specifically calling out the influence that israel has the Is- israeli lobby has on our politics and she's right but she's getting just attacked from everywhere now the most recent person who's like kind of jumping on her is chelsea clinton so like Hmm. who doesn't criticize anything ever but is um comfortable like i mean that's that's pretty much a it's like the accepted position you cannot criticize israel in washington dc so it's really fun to see people who are being elected um that have no such compunctions i think it's funny other apart from that i don't care about this issue guys i'm sorry i know it's a, it's 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 a very in vogue issue to 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 f- devote a lot of bandwidth to and i just i'm just sure that there's enough people devoting their bandwidth to it that they don't need they don't need my voice i i'd love to not talk about it let's put it that way i mean it would everything would be so much better <laughs> a song just won a song just won uh, I guess a Grammy called "Booed Up." <laughs> That's where we are as a people. That's so easy to say that. That's where we are as a people. Just criticize. You haven't even you haven't even heard the song. You don't know if okay. it's good. Ta- okay. Do you really think that song might be good? I doubt it. I mean, sure. Okay. That's all. It's probably bad. It's That's probably all. really bad. I, I'd give it a chance, uh, maybe, if I had to, but um it's probably terrible. Let's be honest here. You tried the new you tried the new Twitter interface or no? It's all no. fucked up. It's weird. It keeps like jumping me back up my timeline against my will. I'm not, I'm not into it. I'm really oh, that's not what Facebook it. does. I hate that shit. Yeah, they're trying to get all Facebook y and it, it's actually starting to look like a thing that they did, they did a a, tweet, a Twitter redesign that they backtracked. Like, I forget, it was like four years ago, and it was made to look at make it look more like Facebook. And everybody was everybody freaked out. They're like, "There's a reason we're not on Facebook. There's a reason Facebook <laughs> fucking sucks." And there is actually some good things about Twitter, like the interface and the way that it works is actually good. And uh, even though everything about being on it is terrible, um, and uh, and they backtracked it. And uh, yeah, so aren't there a bunch of awards going on right now? It's crazy that I'm getting you to be able to talk about. Like, I know. Bird, Bird I, I realize that I'm missing the uh, the uh, the Grammys right now for this, and the Baftas were earlier, but I wasn't around for that. But um, 
but yeah, I'm missing the Grammys right now. And there's a, there's a whole live, uh, live, it's not live tweeting when it's in Facebook, but what would you call a live commenting party, uh, in our piecing it together, a movie discussion group, even though it's not a movie thing, but, uh, and that would be a lot of fun to follow along, but here I am talking about Israel. <laughs> well, all right, let me change the subject. New York Times National News just released the results of a poll, and I want you to guess this. Okay, they asked, they polled Americans, and they asked, and I want you to guess by percentage. In your life, have you seen blackface? What percentage of Americans said yes, they had seen blackface? A hundred? I No, no, I mean, like, like a person... <laughs> What they mean is like a person in their presence or near them or like up on stage or something like that. Not just seeing a, a, a story oh, so about not on blackface. TV. No, not has on- has a person, what they're asking is like, has a person performed blackface around you in front of you? Like, have you seen, have you caught the live show is what they're asking. Mm, yeah, that's a good question then. Uh, yeah, I would imagine not very many. I'm assuming that, uh, okay, uh, 20%. Damn, dead ass. 20%. 20%. (laughs) Now, here's the tricky one. In your life, have you worn blackface? (laughs) Now, remember, I want you to think about the dynamics of this survey. Somebody's calling you from the New York Times (laughs) to ask you... (laughs) You're a person who has worn blackface before, right? And... The New York Times is calling you and asking you if you've worn blackface. So what you're really what I'm really asking you, Jewish Day, right now, yeah. what percentage of people who have actually worn blackface are bold enough to say to the New York Times, yes, I've worn blackface before? All of them, 100 <laughs> percent Okay. What's that of the overall population of, of the people? Oh God, I don't know. I, of this, of those, of those surveyed, how many? <laughs> this is the, like the best Family Feud episode ever. Well, I, it's I'll not t- a big I'll, number; it's a small number. But the small number, it's so much bigger than you than you would think. Yeah, like, like million, like in the millions. Well, I mean, proportionately, if this percentage and i'm asking you for a percentage yeah. if this percentage were extrapolated across the population of the united states it would be tens of millions yeah yeah wow okay 80 percent. then <laughs> no 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 that many. Uh, look i'm asking you of those surveyed 20 mm-hmm. percent said that they had seen blackface yeah. X percent said they had worn blackface. What is the X? Solve for X. I don't, I don't know. 100%. Damn, how hard of, is it to drag just the number out of you? I don't know. 100% of, of those? No, that's not the way. Yeah, you fucking goddamn. You are just. <laughs> you're killing me a, here. You're I'm the death of joy. <laughs> you are the death of, of joy. I'm having a lot of trouble. Isn't it? A 5%. Percent of 5%. A percent? No, you moron. It's it's a percent of the. St- a thousand people that they asked. 20% yeah. of them said they've seen blackface. 5% of them said that they themselves had worn blackface. A separate 5%? Or no, no. I would assume that the, that, that 5% <laughs> is within. Unless those <laughs> unless there are some people in that me, 20% right? who. Or if there are some people in that 5% you who see put confusion? on the blackface and never looked confusion? in a mirror. And also didn't have anybody around them wearing blackface. So well, 5% I'll tell of people you, have done blackface. Uh, I'll tell you, Mr. New York Times reporter, 
I have never seen anyone wearing blackface, but on uh, every first Saturday of every month, I go through my house and smash every mirror and then put on blackface. So <laughs> technically, it's a no and a yes, please. Put me down for no and yes. What do you think goes through the mind of someone in 2019 that does blackface? Like, um, do, you, do you think they're, they, just, they're they? Do you think they they think they're allowed to, or do you think that they just simply don't think about it? I think there's two. Probably there's probably two derivations of that. Like, there is the people who know they're not allowed to, and are. I don't want to say they're edge lords, but it's more like um, they're 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 inculcated. They're like closed off. They're in an existence. That show, did you ever listen to that podcast, S-Town? Did you ever listen to that or no? Uh, no. Uh-huh. Okay, it was a good show. Um, It was just about like this one sort of character, and I think it was in Georgia, who, um, <laughs> Georgia, based off of our bit. But uh, he was, he basically was, he, he lived in this life where, whatever, I don't want to get into the fucking, uh, the vagaries of S-Town and what it means and what it's about. But there were a lot of people in that show that they interview and talk to who you can tell our cosmopolitan existence of like following things on Twitter and knowing about stuff and being held responsible if we, you know, like if we sexually harass somebody that we work with and all these things that make up our cosmopolitan existence don't exist to them at all right they live a much different they they lead a much different existence and um i think that for people who are closed off in communities like that yeah they'll probably just throw on blackface because there's no repercussion there's nobody to cancel them or or own them online or there's no there's no position at an you know marketing agency or uh, you know, there's no, they're not going to be disinvited from a film festival or something because of it. Like they're, they're, these, these are people for whom there are no repercussions for outward racist behavior. Right. Right. So they fall sort of in the category of like, they know better, just don't care. And then there are probably also in a deeper, more backwoodsier uh, cross section of America people who don't even know that it's a bad thing and just think it's straight up funny and just like like they have nothing better to do and like fuck it like they they don't they're not even ashamed they don't mind if they get their picture taken and they yeah well, i mean i i they do live think- an even more abject existence where getting in trouble over wearing blackface is so far away from any uh, you know potential um daily outcome that it, it's it's not even thinkable it's like it's just funny to them and they don't even like they're gonna go to their grave having never had to reconcile with any 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 part of their overall racist worldview let alone the part that has that compels them to put on black blackface they're gonna die never having to deal with the fact that they're racist in a, in a negative way beyond just leading their shitty miserable existences right, um which right. they're they're unaware that they're even leading because you know well that, that yeah it, very... it's interesting you just said that that they're unaware because i do think that there's some people who maybe don't even know that it's racist straight up have no clue that that's a racist thing to do 
Uh, they just think that is just within the realm of jokes that can be made. Right. Um, right. But, but yeah. And I agree with you that and, and there that are they're people not who, making fun of black people, even though they are, but they, I would, I would posit know. that let's call that group X, right. Uh-huh. And say that X amount of people are contained within that group of X. I would guess that incidentally, almost a hundred percent of them are racist anyway. <laughs> whether they were doing whether they were doing the blackface yeah. uh, explicitly and with with racist intent, they're racist people for whom they would just be doing it anyway. They're the because kind of racist you have to that know have that black friends. If you're if you're if you were raised <laughs> in this country, I, I'm trying to think of like what somebody's experience is that's raised in this country and doesn't know at least some hint of the country's complicated and brutal. Uh, history of 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 race inequality between whites and blacks. Like you know that slavery happened in this country. If you're raised in the backwoods of the Ozarks and you go to a school that is floating on two pontoons in the middle of a swamp, you still have to get taught about slavery. Like they have to have right, told you that slavery right. happened. If you have just that bare bones context that slavery happened, you have to understand putting on blackface is a bad thing. You like just knowing that, be like, damn, this is fucked up. I no. don't know much. Learning on this, this, this in this hovel, <laughs> and living my life, trapping weasels and skinning them and eating them. <laughs> but I know that this isn't right. What I'm doing right now, like I know that much. Okay, so what category do you put uh, Jimmy Kimmel dressing up as Carl Malone for a comedy bit? Oh, pre-Twitter. Just pre-Twitter. So that just means that it, the rules were different before. They absolutely this, were. Look, yeah, Jim okay. Kimmel's still on television. So you weren't necessarily racist 10, 15 years ago if you did it. No, Jimmy you, Kimmel you absolutely. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel was. wasn't the kind of racist where it, he's out there pursuing an agenda that, um, that disempowers black people. Jimmy Kimmel right. was like 94 percent of white america the kind of racist where he just doesn't care he just right. is like he don't, he won't ever think that it's a it's a problem and right. he also is a subsection of racist which is a pre 2010 comedian who for them the joke is the most important thing in the world and mm. refuses to apologize for a joke because they're all, you know, Ricky Gervais, so fucking edgy. And, you know, like, I'm never going to apologize for, for a joke that, if, if, if it made people laugh. By the way, the Carl Malone bits, super not funny. I mean, just empirically. Yeah. Forget about the racial part of it. It's fucking, and it, it wasn't fucking funny. Same thing with, like, almost all of Ricky Gervais' stand-up comedy. Intensely unfunny. Um, right. Like, and... I don't know. I, I, you know, what's funny is I had completely forgotten about the Carl Malone thing. I did too, until of course Republicans brought it up. But um, now you know. I'll tell you the one that I'm most worried about with this, and I'm not even going to get into Ralph Northam and all the political stuff because it's so boring. Like fucking yeah. Like of course, dude. Of course, all of these guys have those fucking pictures. Of fucking course they do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but what happens is that this shit is like uh. It's like it's like lunar lunar the lunar effects on this on the sea tide, right? It it comes in waves and the tides change and they roll in and then they roll back out. And right now the tide is high and 
the all these pieces of shit are getting caught up in it. And the one who I'm we're really, really worried about is all it's going to take is one like super woke person on Twitter to look back a few seasons in It's Always Sunny and see when Rob McElhaney <laughs> wore blackface. Even, and these conversations, Dave, are absolutely devoid of any kind of context. And you know what? If you're the kind of asshole who brings up the subject of context in blackface, you also deserve to be criticized. Like if you're the person that's like, wait, 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 wait. Let's understand what they were trying to do. Uh-huh. And the problem with it is with, with, with It's Always Sunny, there's not a huge elevation in the joke. The joke is very base. That uh-huh. it's just they're doing Lethal Weapon. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing a remake of Lethal Weapon. Sounds to me like you're trying to explain it right now. Though. I'm not even trying to explain it. <laughs> it sounds like it. I, I'm not lending context to it. I'm not. I think you are. You know what? This shit's a third rail. I'm completely disinterested in talking about it. I don't. I, I just want more seasons of It's Always Sunny. And isn't it funny how this table has turned now from you defending Louie to uh, me nascently defending It's Always Sunny, which hasn't even been accused of doing anything bad. Yet. Yep, only a matter we, but, of time. But it, only a matter of time until Rob McElhaney's canceled. We should. And ask if it's him not that, it's going to be something else. Yeah. Really. If it's not that, it'll be something else. They, they, that's the culture. That's that's the culture we're in. And uh, But like we've said many times on this show, it's the whole pendulum thing. It's going to swing back to everybody just being fucking shock comics and yep. nobody really caring. And, uh, and then we'll have uh, you know another decade of comedy. And then we'll uh, go back to everybody being offended at everything again, which in some cases they certainly fucking should be. But, I'm going to uh, sound like one of these right-wing Ben Shapiro type guys, but like there is an, an echo chamber stormtrooper roll out the troops response to these things of thousands of Twitter people. I always say Twitter, but like that's really where this is happening. It's happening on Twitter. It's not happening in real life. It's happening on Twitter. Um, who just when these things happen, they inundate, inundate the upper level or the upper authority of whoever their target is with can't believe that you're, you know, your employee, your, um, your advertiser, your, this, your channel, your editor, you know, your, your reporter, whatever, uh, can't believe that you're, you're continuing to support them. You're continuing to buy advertising time from them. Can't believe that you're continuing to employ them. Right. And that attack happens on Twitter and, it's gonna swing, right? Because we've talked about that before. Where yeah. those people who are in their minds, and it's funny because they all usually tend to be like white people, but in their minds, they think that they're giving voice to marginalized, traditionally marginalized communities. But what's gonna happen is over a period of time, and this is a very Joe Rogan take, and I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of believe it. I don't really agree with Joe Rogan about that much. But over time, they're actually going to dull down the, the, the message of like jumping at every single little piece of red meat that they interpret uh-huh. as something that they can be offended by and, and hurt by. They're going to dull down the, the blade on their saw. I and agree. it's, it's going to become weak. And eventually it's going to become an object of ridicule. And the whole you mad, oh, what, you mad shit is going to flip back on them. And they're going to be, and then when real shit does happen, we're already seeing it. What good has any of, have any of those uh, 
shock troops on Twitter, the woke shock troops, what good have they done against the rise of Trump? Nothing. Right. Yeah. No, it didn't stop Trump. It didn't stop this guy, Kemp, that we made fun of in the opening, who's just a more polite, you know, version of Trump with a better head of hair. It didn't stop the same thing here in Florida, Ron DeSantis. Or, or, you know, Rick Scott or any of these uh, 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 low-key racists or high-key racists from winning and from enacting their agenda. It didn't fucking stop any of them. All it's done is get some... Yeah, it's great that the Democrats have a zero a zero, um, a zero tolerance policy. They should. But the Republicans have a complete tolerance policy. They tolerate anything <laughs> and everything. They will tolerate all of it. Except for talking bad about Israel, they won't. They won't take that, right? Um, yeah. So I just wonder what, what the what the point is. It's it's again. We talked before about this is another one of those instances. Remember when I talked about like playing a football game every year against the same team, and at the beginning of the game, you're like, okay, here's three touchdowns. So at the start of the game, you're losing twenty-one to zero, and then mm. you pretty much continue to year after year always lose and every year you're like what the fuck we need a better quarterback we need a better coach we need a better this we need a better that and nobody ever wants to talk about the fact that you're giving up 21 points to begin with like to start the game you're giving up three touchdowns and you just accepted that that's the way things are that you're always playing from behind you're always climbing up a hill you're always you know battling some deficit and you're always behind the fucking eight ball and what other whatever other metaphors I can mix into this fucking what was this the Joe Rogan metaphor no the Joe Rogan I, thing I, happened a while ago you just okay. fucking stopped listening you stopped listening it's, I don't it's it's well I wasn't sure if, if it had uh it, it had come back somehow because no the Joe like Rogan that, thing was Joe Rogan like is the kind of guy Joe Rogan is the like kind of guy who, who who is um admittedly I think he's a pretty liberal guy I don't really mm-hmm. listen to Joe Rogan but I I you know He's so never, ubiquitous in the world of podcasting. He's like so ubiquitous within the cultural conversations that you can't help but know, like just as the butt of a jokes on Chapo Trap House, you you know what Joe Rogan is. Like if you right, listen right. to anything, you know what Joe, his influence sort of cascades, even if you're, even if it's just to be made fun of. Um, but he's one of these guys, right? He's one of these guys who's like, uh, you know, he'll have anybody on his show. That's what his claim to fame is. And he'll debate anybody with facts and logic and like talk, you know, with an open mind to anybody, even people who are, you know, race hustlers or like race scientists or uh, right wing shills or fucking gra- grifters and shit like that. And um, and my pro- I think the problem with him is that he doesn't really have the gray matter to, to like he mm-hmm. just brings them on and just hears them out and you know, responds with his own, uh, his own like platitudes, but doesn't really interrogate. Was the word I was going to use too. <laughs> yeah, and does, and he doesn't really like interrogate. Like he'll have somebody like, um, like Steven Pinker on, and he won't interrogate the bullshit of what Steven Pinker really is advocating. And um, yeah, okay, that's what Joe Rogan is. And he's the kind of guy who, liberal though his empirical positions might be, he uh, is the kind of person that will be like, well, you know, these these uh, woke outrage warriors, because he's a comedian, don't forget, like he's one of the original, sure. d- nobody's allowed to be offended by comedy guys. And he's like, uh, you know, 
all these woke outrage warriors are going to um, eventually, it's going to turn back on them. And you know what? I agree with them. I do think that, I do think that that's going to happen. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's something I've been saying for a long time. The difference is that him and the, his his ilk, like the the Ricky Gervais set, the um, you know, the Jerry Seinfeld set, they think that that's a good thing. They think that anybody who uh, that nobody should ever be held accountable for a thing that they say. Mm-hmm. And they think that that's the same thing as censorship. Right, right. Somebody like me, I don't see that. I see, I don't see that being the case. I think that you absolutely should never be censored. Nobody should. The government should never stop you from saying the things that you say, as long as you're not inciting hate or speak or or actual violence on people uh, towards specific groups or anybody really. But you should have to face the music for it. You should absolutely have to have to if you say something stupid or racist or horrible or whatever and your advertisers pull out guess what asshole you're not being censored that's the repercussions that's the fucking music you face and that's i think where the disconnect is between me and him but he is right i'm telling you man i don't know how we got down this road but i'm not sure either but i I, damn i'm feeling it i'm good i'm I'm good with talking about this (laughs) are you pumped are you pumped right now These kind of like digressions, it's what the internet does to your brain. I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. It's true. I was reading this New York Times piece called um, Our Brains Aren't Designed to Handle the Trump Era. Uh, It's an op-ed piece and it's just, it's this this op-ed columnist she's talking about. I mean, basically, yeah, like how social media has just broken our brains and how we can't, we can't do shit anymore. Like, I'm. I imagine like what it would be like if I was back in college again, and I had to ha- like muster up the attention span to sit down and read through like five chapters of something in a night and critically analyze it and and create my own original work based on my analysis of it. I can't even. I'm reading. I'm looking at a paragraph right now, and it's just melting into gibberish. <laughs> yeah, I, it's no, melting I into like sh- like angry faces and emojis and shit. I can't. Also, see. also the feeling that you that why you know it's all there anyway. Why do I have to? Why can't I just go get like a little soundbite and that be enough? Oh, like, and it's so bad. I don't think it's a good thing that we yeah, feel that way. Not. Of course, it's not. But it's. It is what it is. I don't, you know, we, we talk about the pendulum with the other stuff. I don't see any pendulum with this. I think this is just going to further and further take over our uh, our lives and our minds. Dying, <laughs> trying to like read one book. Can't read shit, dude. Our brains are melted. My brain is melted. You know what they say? They say that you can fix it, though. They say if you get off of social media, it comes back to you. Like your ability to think. How's, like a how's that working being. out for you after you quit Facebook? Uh, I got back on Facebook because ago. of birthdays, and um, but I'm still <laughs> no, Facebook, me a little bit, right? A little bit, yeah. It's like yeah, you yeah. constantly drag me into Facebook stuff. You, you, <laughs> you're like you're like a like a, I like thrive a, on Facebook. I don't know what to tell you. You're I, like I a am, 19th but... century American <laughs> Southwest um, lawman. Who and I'm a I'm a bank robber and you throw like a fucking um, a lasso around my feet and drag me until I'm nothing but boots. <laughs> Pull me into this shit. Boots and blood smeared. I'm boots Q. and blood smeared. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, you know what I watched that was great, and I wanted to mention it on the podcast tonight, even though I didn't write it in the outline. Sure. Uh, and it's on Netflix, so you'll never watch it. But Steven Soderbergh's most recent movie, um, High Flying Bird. Have you heard about it? I saw it listed, but I, no, I, I don't know much about it. Really good. It turned into something completely different um, than what I thought it would be. It starts off kind of like a Jerry Maguire. It's about a sports agent who you're led to believe is just like great at what he does. And um, it takes place during an NBA lockout. So for those who aren't sports fans, like a lot of labor disputes, the NBA and the Players Association will have lockouts, right? Like Occasionally. There's been, I think, three in my lifetime, maybe two. And, um, you know, it results in lost games, lost money. These are millionaires who are not great at managing their money for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, NBA players, I mean. And they have a lot of help, but that help also costs them money. Their agents and their lawyers and their accountants and shit, they charge them a lot of money. And um, so they usually engage when this happens in a waiting game with billionaires who are great at managing their money uh, and who are far more liquid and far more um, prepared to you know sit out for an owner of an NBA team missing half a year of revenue it's like they'll be okay they'll be fine the NBA team is probably not even where they make their money they probably make their money in fucking you know software or like child sure, slavery yes. or something like that <laughs> and um, so anyway in this movie the main character who's played by so Andre Holland plays this Jerry Maguire stand-in right who mm-hmm. instead of growing a conscience and trying to start his own business instead since this is Steven Soderbergh instead of um, uh, Mr. Almost Famous whatever the fuck that guy's name is Cam, Cam Cameron Cameron Chromie Chromium? Cameron uh, Chromium. Cameron Chromium. Um, <laughs> instead of instead of uh, growing a conscience and, and, and whatnot, instead what he does is he comes up with this brilliant idea to apply pressure to um, the owners by taking some of his clients and pitting them against each other in one-on-one games, unsanctioned, outside of the rules of the NBA, broadcast on social media by people who happen to be there, like passersby and so that there's no way that the nba can sue them for rights it's just ephemeral social media sharing of these videos and he turns it into event revenue drivers it's a really brilliant idea and what it does is that's just the plot the theme the plot is really good it's a well-written movie a lot of good actors sonia Sohn from the wire if anybody ever watched the wire um lieutenant kima greggs she's you don't see her in much stuff but she's a great actress um Anyway, the theme is about labor. This is another movie, another, by the way, mostly black casted movie, uh, mostly black casted movie about labor, similar to um, uh, Sorry to Bother You. And it's right, about right. The, the power of these athletes as the workers to apply pressure. And they're almost, they're perennially in the supplicant position, in the weaker position, right? They're always asking for money and stressed out because their bank accounts are about to run dry. But they're the ones that everybody's paying to see. They're the ones that everybody, their work is what everybody wants. Nobody's Mm. paying to see a fucking owner sit in a press box or sit in the owner's box every night. Everybody's paying the money to see the players play. So anyway, it's it's, it's just a, a movie I wanted to recommend while we were having this episode. 
Good. What are we going to watch while you're in town? Let's let's tick off our because uh, I think longtime listeners know that when you and I get together, most of the time is spent on a couch watching binge watching TV shows and movies. What's on? What What do you want to show me? Was Widows as good as everybody said? I hated Widows. Um, you would probably like it though. Uh, I think you would like it, and a lot of people did love it. I I didn't think it was good at all. I thought it was so just so cliche and boring. So last week we uh, why don't you intro it, Dave? Yeah, well we're 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 doing our do I have to segment again, which last was week was Bumblebee good. Bumblebee was pretty good actually. It was uh it was fun. I'm so not that's saying that uh, we should watch one that, good Transformers but... movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All of that property, that yeah. entire property. The first one was pretty fun. Um, was it? But then the, the, yeah, it was. It was. But then they went just from there. Just they just got dumber and dumber and dumber. Was I the actually, Suspiria remake any good or no? Suspiria is pretty good. Yeah, I I would watch that again. Here's um, what I remember weird. about the first the first um, Transformers. Somebody pointed out to me. Somebody who knows more about this than I do. Um, you can always tell cheaply made. Uh, you know, corner cutting CGI big action scenes because they happen at night or they happen in the rain. Mm-hmm. And my mem or the, that is one one memory I have of of the first Transformers movie. The second one is not having any bearing of where you were or what the what the what the machine was. It was just a bunch of metal gears moving. Like you couldn't mm-hmm. tell if it was an arm punching or if it was a face getting punched. You couldn't tell yeah. what was what was happening. Like the, the first one I think is not accurate to the Transformers movies. Even the bad ones, even the middle bad ones. Uh I would say that they there is so much like intense, insane CGI like happening even when they're bad the problem is that yeah michael bay just wants to throw as much shit on the screen as possible and, and yeah, you never too. know what's happening that's his biggest you, crime by the way reusing shit what do you think about that yeah. you're a movie guy oh, it's, i think yeah, that's it's weird bullshit. it's straight up bizarre uh, you've seen those videos then where where like they show yeah. the exact shot and everything and two different michael bay movies it's so weird it's i, I don't know i don't why think it's weird would... dude i think that's fraudulent that's a fraud it is. like what if no, you went is. What if, what if like, what if I sold you a cake and then the next day you came in and bought another cake for me and it had pieces of the old cake I don't like that were like three days old or something like that. I mean, wouldn't you be pissed off? Like, give me a, I'm buying a product, man. Give me the fucking product. Have the fucking courtesy to, to actually make the fucking thing. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. That's one of those things that I just want to like. I just want to be like Michael Bay reusing footage is late capitalism and like have people just uncritically be like, yes, that's right. That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Without really knowing what I'm, what I mean by it and me not even really knowing what I mean by it. Um, (laughs) So uh, yeah, you, you just uh, derailed my explanation of uh, do I have to, do I have to tell us about, do Do I I have have to to. it's for, for newer listeners. They haven't heard. Do I have to, so we have to explain. Yes. Exactly. Do I have to is a recurring segment on the show where I make Q do something and Q makes me do something. Usually it has to do Anal. with uh, 
yeah, anal or other sexual activities, but sometimes it also might include uh, listening to a certain album or watching a certain movie or reading a book or just doing some kind of thing that the other one's probably not super into, like that particular thing that we're going to make them do. Uh, or we think they I think would the be thing into is, it. Yeah, I think the, 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 the criteria was always like, you would never you might like it you might not like it but right you probably you would gonna never do it on your own you would never just do it on your own without somebody forcing yeah. you to go do it you would never go listen exactly. to this watch this exactly go see this go experience this um yeah. you, you have to and this is supposed to i don't know this was this supposed to originally be like an exercise in kind of like advancing ourselves or improving ourselves or something like that i, I doubt mean. it I no. doubt it. I, I think at one point it was like the whole idea for the podcast, wasn't it? That's like right. We that was the whole talk. Our first iteration of the podcast was, a, was the podcast was going to be called, do I have to? Yeah. And yeah. you, we were going to just kind of make each other do a thing. And uh, it was going to be more stunty real quick. It, I like, cause <laughs> no, because I, I was, I was coming up with like propositions and stunts and stuff. I wanted you to go, like, I wanted you to go, have a drink on Koval Avenue after midnight, like things like that. I was going to make yeah. you do really specific, dangerous things. And mm-hmm. um, that was the direction that the show was going to take. Ultimately, I'm kind of glad we landed on what we did. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. So last week, Dave, let's start off with you and your experience okay. with what I, what I made you do um, to re- rehash. If you don't remember from last week, uh, I, I, in the last like three or four months, I discovered the artist, uh, the singer, and uh, the the artist um, Anderson Pock, and I wanted to I wanted to impart that with Dave. I wanted to share my experience with of that music with Dave. Now I did this with the con- with the context knowing that Dave has been for the better part of like half a decade on a Dave is. Before we get into this, I'm going to say this because he's not going to say this about himself. Dave is one of the most like nuanced. He always talks about movies and he's become a big movie guy, but his true strength is music. He understands music on a technical level better than I do, better than you do, better uh-huh. than like most pretty much anybody does. And he his ability to appreciate music and to share good music and get excited about it and get other people excited about it was always a, a big strength of his back when he would ever leave his house, which he doesn't right. do anymore. So I used to though quite a so bit. So for me to bring music to Dave is a big deal because Dave for years and years and years in our young adulthood and our childhood and our teenagehood or whatever, um, brought music to me. A lot of the music that I still listen to, uh, was brought to me by Dave and came during, a period of time when he was working for Sony and um, we were being, you know, we were being treated to different concerts and live events pretty much every night. And so that's, that's why I brought Anderson Pock to Dave. We have ongoing conversations with other friends of ours about how there's no good music out anymore. Right. There's not, there's no any good recording. There's not any good recording artists out there, especially in the world of hip hop, especially particularly in the world of hip hop. Which yeah. Anderson Pac is like hip hop adjacent, or he's swimming in the same stream as hip hop. Um, so we'll get into that as as I talk about it. But I think he is straight up hip hop. I mean, he, okay. he's hip hop and and well, R&B let's get into it. Tell me, tell me what stuff. you thought. Tell me yeah. wh- how how did you? I, I assigned you a playlist that I made on Spotify. Mm-hmm. How did you listen to it, and what did you think? 
So first of all, I listened to your whole playlist and uh, two of his albums, one of his official albums and one of his uh, underground albums. Um, so I, I did listen to quite a bit of him over the last like three, four days. Um, and so I, I have two things to say right off the bat. So uh, first thing I should say, I should get this out of the way right away. I did like him quite a bit. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say I loved, loved him like, like you seem to, um, but I definitely, uh, I respect what he's doing. I, I think there's a lot of great musicianship there. I, I think lyrically he's pretty good, um, better than a lot of, you know, uh, modern hip hop artists. Um, so yeah, I, I liked him. And the other thing I wanted to get out of the way is, uh, big respect to him for having a completely unnecessary, uh, period in his name, uh, Anderson space dot. Pac. Um, <laughs> just like my uh, alter ego rap name, D Rocks, D E E, period, space, rocks. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 didn't, I didn't look up why he does that, but uh, I just thought that was great that uh, he also has a completely unnecessary period in his name. So, uh, <laughs> with that being said, uh, I, I'll get into basically um some of the songs that stood out to me and just overall what i what i thought of him his style so i i also just happened to listen to him uh he was just on wtf with mark Marin, uh so i got to listen to a little bit of his backstory and and i heard about how he's like he's a real you know musician he's uh you know plays uh drums and um other instruments as well plays on a lot yeah, of he's not like music. yeah he he's existing at a time where like um like a lot of the ascendant music in his genre is is SoundCloud guys that like honestly I know that they they get millions of hits but they're not that talented and mm. they they just kind of rap over beats that somebody made on like a Mellotron or something like that <laughs> and they're just Mellotron. like get the puss I'm gonna cry while while you know I'm wild I'm gonna cry while I'm wild you know like that and that'll be a song and that's a hook. And he isn't that. He's, you know, again, obviously, I'm speaking from the point of view of somebody who's a who's a, a recent convert and fan of his. But existing in that world today, I think you you kind of get a pass because your thought it's 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 generally assumed you probably have no musical talent, and this is somebody who does. <laughs> right. Exactly. And one thing one thing that should be stated is he he was a SoundCloud rapper. I mean, this, you know, he, yeah, under he a is, different name, he, comes he was that. like, yeah, yeah, yeah he exactly. had a different name and he was a SoundCloud. I mean, and his style does kind of veer into that here and there that, that, you know, he definitely loses me there when he does that. But when, when things stay, uh, you know, more musical, it definitely is much, much better. And now, I mean, his new album is produced by Dr. Dre. And then along with, uh, a lot of other like big major producers who really kind of bring that, that musicianship out of him, I think, um, which, which is really important to keep him on keep him on track and not uh not trying to appeal to uh you know i i guess it's what would be called the streets nowadays but back in the day appealing to the streets men actually being good hip-hop um yeah. so you know things have changed quite a bit um a couple of standout songs uh uh one of them was um Hold on, I got. I just got to double check the name of it because it's a lot of his songs have like two names, like where it'll be two songs on one track. Uh, the season and carry me. It's like one track. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that song really stood out to me. I love the music on it. Um, I thought his verses and the, the chorus and everything were all really good. Um, also six summers, which was not on your playlist. I don't think. No, that uh, wasn't. Yeah, stood out. 
Yeah, that, that one. Stood out I, I know really that I one. know the track name, but I would have to, I have to go listen to it to remember what it. it it's a like. Trump song, which could get really uh, you know kitschy or whatever, but um, it's actually really good though. I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, another one that was on your playlist was the Bird, which I thought really. I mean, That's everything a beautiful about song. it. Yeah, that leads really off. good. That leads off that that album that I love, Malibu, which is that's on a Malibu, great, yeah, yeah. And that and it's funny because he has a couple of albums, the two albums that I'm a big fan of. It's funny they, if you've spent time in Southern California, they're they're both named after cities in Southern California, and they feel like those places. Like the album Malibu feels <laughs> like Malibu, and the album Oxnard feels like Oxnard. It really does, and I don't know how to explain it better than that. I sound corny, but like it 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 <laughs> it, it really does feel that way, like. It's a, so it's a I great I also listened to aside from uh, that playlist and and uh, Oxnard I also listened to something he has called Cover Art which is one of his unofficial albums it's uh, it's six songs and it's all um, like funky soul hip hop kind of experimental covers of rock songs and like the idea behind it was um, that you know back in the fifties and whatever uh, white artists were always covering uh, black artists and so he was gonna you know, cover all these white artists and uh, he does seven, seven nation army and white stripes. He does uh, some great heights from the postal service, which if you haven't heard yet, I think you will love that one. Yeah, it's I'm actually pretty damn that. good. I haven't listened to uh, any of that, that soundcloud album. So that's yeah, all going to be fresh. It, it's good fresh to me. Yeah. I, I, I dug that a lot. I thought it was really cool. Um, where I start to dislike some of it and why I wouldn't really say I love it. Um, so there's two things I wanted to talk about here. So the first one, and this is something I also didn't like about Chance the Rapper, which is uh, another uh, do I have to that you had me do. Yeah, like, from like a uh, year and four, a half ago. Four yeah. months ago, six months. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, well, it was a while ago. But um, it's something with modern hip hop production. when And so I don't even know what you would call the style that does this. Um, but I noticed it all over Dr. Dre's Compton album was the first time I ever like heard it because obviously I don't listen to a lot of modern hip hop. And, uh, so I, I noticed it on there because of course I had to check out what Dr. Dre was doing with his new album. And then I noticed it on chance the rapper's album. I noticed on this and I noticed it on, uh, Kendrick Lamar as well. It, instead of having a beat, like obviously there, there's the instruments and then there's the, the beat, the drums, you know, uh, instead of just having a beat, they seem to have a ton of percussion and it just it clogs up the yeah. song to the point yeah, where you yeah. can't hear anything like and that kind of almost makes me feel like I'm falling into what you like to say about how our ears just turn to shit when we reach a certain age and we just don't hear it anymore. And I'm sitting here saying that I don't hear anything, but I really do mean it like you can't always make out their words. You can't make out the other instruments in the track because there's this, all this like. And it works well in like say salsa music or something where there's like all this clacking percussion and stuff and, and it sounds awesome. But in this it's it's totally overpowering everything else. And I, well, I it's really also machine, don't understand why it's also machine that. driven in this, right? Like I mean the these are from beat machines as opposed to yeah. a salsa where there's an actual uh, rhythm section that's playing that, that that's absolutely that's yeah, yeah. Th this is all uh pattern based uh drum loops and stuff and and they're making it out of where it, it should be a kick a snare a hi-hat and maybe one or two other elements i mean it's like a full-on freaking percussion like the one section i don't know of, where this like, started but it predates soundcloud it it goes back to maybe 2007 or 2008 but like the real real fast-paced um 
machine snare yeah i think it started with trap music and yeah it's like it's an old trap thing and it made sense in trap but trap a lot of trap was was not this trap was like a traps i think people just ridiculous traps ridiculous but i think people forget about trap is that like trap wasn't when i ask people what trap means to them like younger people because i work with, with a lot of people who are younger than me like in their 20s and stuff and they come up with these like and they're into music, you know, and they come up with these ex- explanations and they're very succinct and good, but they miss what the history of trap was. Trap was a place to put your money while you were dealing drugs. Sure. Yeah. That's all <laughs> that it was. And it was actually supposed to be bad. Trap music was supposed to be bad to avoid too much attention. That's what trap music was. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, was, suppo- it was true. initially like, if you hear the stories, the oral histories from the earliest trap, uh, trap groups, they were like, no, we were not trying to like get signed. We were not trying to make it big. We were trying to like launder our cash, basically, because we were making way more money <laughs> on the street than any you know record advance we would ever, any uh, studio advance we would ever get. Now here I am sounding like an old white guy, but what does that say about people's musical tastes? Yeah, that it's in, defined in by century. like the worst inclinations of the previous <laughs> generation of hip hop. Yeah. Uh, it- it's sad. That's fucking sad. Um, the other thing that I, I thought about, and this is more just about music in general, and it kind of, I don't want to get into our whole Lady Gaga conversation that we had on Twitter. Um, but that Very being diplomatic, said, it, calling it a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it did make me realize, it, it ties right in with that, um, something about me and music and what I like, and maybe this is because I've been a musician for 20 years. Maybe this is because I've worked with, with artists, maybe because of like, you know, the history of music that I like, I, I like music that stands out more. And I think that's why, you know, to me, when I hear like Lady Gaga's shallow, I mean, I, I love it because I mean, it, it, it goes for it like a hundred percent. It puts like so much into it. There's so much of uh, this Anderson Pack stuff and a lot of modern hip hop, unfortunately, where it's just so background and just so um, and on purpose. I, I could tell that that is what they're going for. It's not like they're it's not like they're shooting high and and you know missing. I, I it's they're just so lazy sounding a lot of the times <laughs> and it it really kind of kills the momentum for me. And it's like it would be one thing if. Um, you know, some of the songs are like that. And it's like, oh, this is like a, like a, a more of a chill track or whatever. But when every song is so chill that it sounds like everybody's asleep in the studio, um, it, it really kind of hurts. And that was something I didn't like. Again, bringing up Chance the Rapper, because, I mean, there's a lot of parallels between these two artists, I thought. Um, and it, 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 it's just so sleepy. And now that's, those kind of tracks, see, that's they so don't weird really for me, do anything for, like, for me. I, I, I agree with you in this case with... with um, with Anderson Pack, but there were a lot of tracks on that Chance album, um, Coloring Book, that really t- were home run swings, like big belt out the chorus, uh, you know, f- like bring in the Chicago Children's Choir, f- right, like fifty right. different voices singing high and um, very. I think I just don't like gospel. Maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't usually like gospel, but like, yeah, it, it, I just thought it was really well done on that album. Yeah, no, I could see that though. It's definitely a bigger album. 
It's definitely yeah. bigger though. Uh, the uh, the Chance the Rapper album. So I, it it definitely gets more into the the range of what I'm talking about with like bigger and like just just going for. It. I mean, you're in the studio, you're making music. Like, go and make some fucking music, you know, and don't just like you know, pick a little single bass note and just let it ring out for 20 seconds. And that's the entire bass line. Like, you know, that's what I felt like a lot of, uh, a, a lot, a lot of these, these tracks were like, they were just so simple. And I'm just like, I'm like, I know this guy, I could tell just by listening to him. And it, you know, it's funny on that covers, uh, the cover art project that gets a lot more experimental. And he really, I, that's why I think I like that more than any of his release stuff. Um, not just because they're covers of these songs that I love. Um, it's because they actually don't sound much like the songs. They're really a, a lot different and like very original takes. Um, and oh, Maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs is another track on there. And I mean, it sounds it sounds freaking crazy and it's really cool. And I mean, there's so much musicianship on there and I wish there was more of that happening. Um, but it, again, it just doesn't seem to be what they're going for. Yeah. The one, the ones that I really like, if you know, if anybody's out there and they maybe are going to listen to this, uh, the, you mentioned the bird, which I love is the song that got me into it's the, nice. if you like, I think it might be the first track that plays when you just pull him up as an artist on Spotify. No, there's a Kendrick mm-hmm. Lamar track that plays first, but after that, I think his first track on his own is The Bird, which is just a beautiful, soft. It, it's kind of like one of what you're talking about, though. It's very, it's music that would be playing in like a jazz club. It's music that right. would be playing in, in background, to, to your point. But yeah. there are some songs, I think, that are like way more textured and, 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 and have more layers. Um, Parking Lot is one that I say. That, that I that I love. It's like one of my favorite songs of the last few years. The other one that I really like is this track called Come Down, which has a lot of like it's sample heavy. And um it was actually it was produced by high tech and it's mm-hmm. it's just really fucking good. That I, I can't believe I forgot to put that one on there for you. You should have listened to that one. That's like it's probably my favorite song of his. I, I don't know why I <laughs> it's towards the end of the album. I might have just like overlooked it or something like that. But um it's incredible. And uh it's right. it's probably some of his best lyrics are on that one, like where he's actually rapping. So, um, yeah. So, all right. Well, I guess I'll take half a win. Uh, you you yeah. kind of liked it. I'd say know? like I'd say even three quarters. I'll give you even okay. three quarters. I, yeah. I I I definitely liked it. I definitely liked it. So that brings us to yours. Yes. Yeah. So for for my um, do I have to? Uh, I and it's appropriate enough. I can I think here dog. Um, collars in the background. Is that dog it's, collars it's a, in here? That, that's a cat. Oh, that's well. an evil cat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on my end, you asked me to watch your favorite movie of 2018, Isle of Dogs, which is also a um, uh, not a not a portmanteau. What is that called? It's it's also a uh, a cryptoquip. I think no, that's not the right word. When 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 words sound like a different yeah. sa- a different phrase. Um, yeah, I don't know what the word is either for that. I Let's... love dogs. Isle of dogs. Anyway, this was a. <laughs> I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm Gene Shallot or something. But like this was a charming movie, and it was so much fun, and it was really good. Um, I loved it uh, unreservedly. I thought it was in any other year it would be far and away the best. In any year where Spider Man 
uh, right. <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse didn't come out. It would be far and away the best animated movie. And just last night, I guess the people at BAFTA agreed with me. They gave it to Spider-Man over the, the best animated feature to Spider-Man over... Um, in 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 like these early awards season things, how is it doing in that animated feature category? Is it like, is it winning those, or is it like splitting them with Spider Man, or is Spider Man? Yeah, just like I'd say it's it's totally splitting with Spider Man, and and that's totally fair too because Into the Spider Verse is fantastic. I mean, there's yeah. no no doubting that whatsoever. I I would obviously I'm a Spider Man nerd. Like growing up as a kid, I, he was my favorite superhero, and I have a huge soft spot for him. Soft spot for him. That this movie stands on its own as an incredible effort by um, you know Wes Anderson, who's one of our longtime favorite directors because we're white, and uh, <laughs> it's it is. There's I no, did say there's no way to get through this conversation without talking about without the talking about the general color palette of this movie that does take place it's a black in, dog entirely in Japan. Yeah, until he gets washed off. Yeah, until he gets washed white, and then he's white. Um, and no, actually it's funny because we were, I was watching it with my wife and she's like, she said exactly that. She's like, why is the mean dog, the black one? And I was like, well, he gets washed off later and he's white. And then I realized like, that doesn't sound much better. <laughs> like, that's not... <laughs> like that sounds pretty much equally as bad. Whatever. If you ignore Wes Anderson's blind spot for, you know what? Let me talk about that. Because that's probably one of my favorite things about this movie. Not Wes Anderson's general racial blind spots and inability to cast diverse uh, uh, actors in his in his movies. Um, I would say, because I never care about that shit. My thing is the same as yours, which is I think that representation is incredibly important. And for black kids or little girls or you know Puerto Rican kids or anybody to see themselves up on screen is incredibly important and i think that Mm -hmm. like not just on movies but in everything right and on on basketball courts and you know in uh professional capacities like representation is super important that being said i don't think anybody should ever dictate or quota eyes any artistic endeavors by anybody there should not be some quota like just the idea that there's a note that comes back from a studio saying i love this script but can we make the second female lead um you know uh you know a a lesbian cuban or something like that just for the sake of having that you know i i don't like that uh so i think organically the way to approach it is that you fund creators who whose artistic visions have that right so maybe maybe wes anderson or like maybe the like the low tier, what's a low tier Wes Anderson? Who's like a like a shitty Wes Anderson out there who like makes some movies that are okay? Like whoever that guy is, maybe he doesn't right. get as many shots. Maybe give somebody else a few, you know, maybe give Barry Jenkins the next movie that you were going to give him. I don't know, right? Please, gi- please give Barry Jenkins some more money. Give Barry Jenkins every movie. But <laughs> yes. like, no, that's the point, right? Is it's like, yeah. it, it, you're not, you shouldn't, don't attack the artist. If the art isn't good, don't patronize it. If the art doesn't meet the standards, patronize the other people whose art meet the standards. And You're you right. can never say that about Wes Anderson. His art, as as like some people might find some of his work cloying or twee or overly precious, it, it doesn't miss the mark. It's really good art. It is good art. Yeah. 
And this is no exception. This might be at one of his best. This is like probably his best movie, I think. Um, it, it's up and there I say for that, sure. And I say that being like Royal Tenenbaums is one of my top five movies. I love that movie. Yeah. And the New York that it ha- that it features is like a New York that I I like will always remember, and uh, from like <laughs> that '80s New York, the up the the sort of like Upper West Side New York, and uh, like just below 130th New York, um, like that's the New York I kind of grew up going to. You know, grew as like an, an outer borough kid. I, I grew up in that. You know, like I always think of that. Love rural Tenenbaums. I think this movie might be better. Um, <laughs> One thing that I thought was really fascinating that he did with this movie is he showed some level of self-awareness because I think he knows that he probably gets criticized for his milieu being so, like I said before, twee and overly curated and cutesy-wootsy. And he subverted that by having 95% of the movie take place on a trash island and making that trash island look beautiful and engaging and very you know uh like just it was it, it was great it was like i don't know it was uh it, i thought it was a, i thought it was a a great way for him to sort of understand himself and understand the criticism that that he gets and to just take these landscapes these sort of like bertinsky-esque landscapes and just dive into them and make them just as beautiful as any other shots that he's done uh you know where you know where he's like doing whether it's like white people on an orange train traveling through india right primary colors on an upstate uh you know an upstate new york or no was it in canada i forget whatever moonrise kingdom um you know on on a lake in canada or or upstate new york i forget what, what which one it was um you know the the sort of washed out mid century look of a fictional version of Poland in um, uh, Grand Budapest, right? The, all this th- this this movie looked better than all of it. Honestly, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful movie. The plot was a little secondary. The act, the voice acting was good. Um, I, I thought it was cute. Uh, I and it had lots of sort of like hidden little pieces of trivia in it, and um, I was ready to to make fun of it for being sort of appropriative of Japanese right. culture, and it absolutely absolutely wasn't. It handled the setting and the characters incredibly well. He did a great job of putting in his own um, Wes Andersonisms into the uh, the 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 one thing I wanted to touch on actually was was this the world building. The world building was mm-hmm. incredible. The world oh, that yeah. he made of Megasaki, such a cool name <laughs> for a city, was uh, was was brilliant. I don't have anything really bad to say about this movie. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great movie. <laughs> I, I love uh, I, I love the dog that's always telling rumors. That, yeah, <laughs> was that uh, was that um, Jeff Goldblum? I'm trying to remember. That was Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum's yeah. dog is always always <laughs> has rumors. Yeah. <laughs> where do you hear all the, and Bill Murray saying, where did you hear all these rumors? It's like, I don't know. People talk. I hear people talk. People talk to me. What am I supposed to do? Not listen. What, what did you think of the scene that I had mentioned at the end of the year last year? Oh yeah. Like I don't know. I was blew my mind when it started. I immediately knew what you were talking about and I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't like blown away by it or anything. It was just, oh, there's um, something about that that to me is just so just like, 
I don't that know. That might be like so, a. I don't know. That what might it be is. no. I think I think that that's just a personal ASMR quirk, uh, kink that you have. Uh, you could probably, you could probably be wooed away by a woman who just like, like like softly pushes a fork through like wet meat or something, like like a woman who like makes videos on YouTube where she feeds her dog and like the edge of the the knife like runs across the metal of the bowl. Like that's the kind of stuff would just make you spooge probably you just have some weird <laughs> weird thing for that that's i, that's I guess so yeah. i guess so you know what you know what else uh one other thing about it uh that I, that I liked so much was anytime there was a tv screen it was a different form of animation on the yeah, screen. yeah yeah that was brilliant too that was a really, was really so good cool. touch a lot of different so cool. i also loved um there wasn't a single i i don't know maybe there was i have to google this but you tell me there wasn't and i noticed this about 15 minutes into it so i kept my eye open there wasn't a single um, diagonal shot. Everything was straightforward, straight I side, think you're right. or top down. There wasn't a single shot that was done diagonally. Like you know, have you ever noticed? Like, have you ever seen the thing where like um, you never see a Simpsons character straightforward, except right, for like right. three or four times, and they show yeah. them and they look so weird because they're always shot diagonally or, or rendered diagonally. Every yeah, yeah. everything. Um, Every every shot on this movie was was rendered uh, in in ninety degrees. Yeah, I Whether didn't notice that before, down. but I, I think you're totally right. Now that I'm like picturing the movie, I, I'm pretty sure you're right about that. Which again reminds me of like Bertinsky with these like uh, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Edward Bertinsky or not, but he I think was an influence on this movie. Um, these swooping sort of modern day trashscapes. Trashscape photography that he would do, where he would just take pictures of endless, endless miles of discarded tires, like in you know, or or just like entire mountains of um of glass bottles. Then oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 its own art. It's um very derelict and very like um abject, but still, it's like it's 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 beautiful to look at. And, uh, that would have been a good uh, extra puzzle piece back when we did the episode. Oh yeah, on well, it. if you only would um, <laughs> pick the best host, the one who does research and actually knows knows. Hey, things. you were never you were never planning on seeing the movie, so that couldn't have happened. That's true. But, I probably uh, never would have seen it. Hopefully, we'll get you on again soon. So uh, <laughs> I'm really glad you liked the movie, though. I'm like, yeah, I really I'm loved so it. So glad you liked it. I, I was hoping you would. Trying to think of anything, I I, I I took some notes, but I didn't really have any criticism. I didn't have anything to be like. This sucked or anything like that. Um, yeah, no, I had no no negative things to say about the movie. So good, good, awesome. good pick, Dave. Awesome, good picks. All it wasn't the best this, movie this of the month. year. It, I know it was your favorite movie of the year because you have a soft spot well, for dogs. If you remember what, yeah, if you remember what I said, most likely my favorite movie of the year was really First Reformed, but yeah. um, Isla Dogs was like like tailor made for me. I mean, First Reformed you know was I mean? a fucking banger, man. I can't believe yeah. it did not get. Any, it hasn't gotten any yeah. consideration in any of these it's, award it's so seasons. Ridiculous. So full of shit. It, it, the the Independent Film Spirit Awards will uh, it's nominated and I think it has a good chance of winning possibly. But uh, and certainly uh, Ethan it's Hawke crazy. will probably win Best Actor. I come from this world of of you know like my first real professional experience was as a sports writer uh, at the Miami Herald. So I, and I've always been a sports sports guy, which you are mm. not at all. But right. I come from this world of of sports, right? Which is one, a lot of my cultural context is from sports. And, um, 
just thinking about LeBron James having this incredible year and scoring like 30 points a game and getting like like eight rebounds a game and nine assists per game and then just like not having a PR team right like that even mattering for the MVP voting right it doesn't matter like there are people out there sports writers who cover this I actually there was a couple of years where I actually got a vote on some of the college football awards because I had been I had written enough bylines about college football, which is, I don't remember, the threshold was like, if you write 15 stories about college football during the course of a year for a major metropolitan newspaper, then you get like automatically invited to be part of the voting for the college football awards, right? So I got I got invited for a couple of years where I was like casting my vote for certain, certain awards. And there was no... There was I, I don't recall there being any kind of a PR push for it because it's just it's so on its face. It's like the best player right. is the one that did this. This guy just did it really well, and it doesn't matter what some PR flunky is gonna try to like change my mind about it. Obviously, it's not gonna. I mean, short of just bribing me, like they're not it's gonna really change weird. my mind. You know, it's like really how can weird. somebody I look mean, at look at Ethan Hawke and what he did in that movie? How can ostensibly professional um, people who are voting on these things, who are members of this academy, how can they look at what that guy did in the movie and just be like, ah, well, I didn't get like a a novelty collar, a novelty priest collar in the mail uh, to remind me for for his consideration. So since I didn't get it. It would be one of those first reform caps from the gift shop. Yeah, uh, yes, perfect. Yeah, I forgot about that part. I thought you were going to say like the fucking, um, the barbed wire. (laughs) But, oh God! Um, <laughs> vote for Trino. me. Covered in blood, <laughs> and Trino. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just never understand that. That's one thing yeah. I just won't get. And and that's the thing too. Uh, most of the uh, you know every city, every major city has like a, a film critics association, and these movies like 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 him, Ethan Hawke, he won in most of the cities in the film critics associations awards. Uh, Tony Collette, who also isn't nominated for an Oscar, it's just the Oscars and the Golden Globes where they're just this weird disconnect, and it's like this strange corporate thing with 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 full-on money involved and stuff. I don't know. It's really weird. It's not really based on merit in, in the Oscars and the uh, Globes. And it's really making it very uh, difficult to be excited about, even though I am. There was a year, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, there, and, and there's... And the the thing about... There's a scene from Dogma. I don't, I don't know how many people ever remember Dogma, but where Matt Damon's character is talking to this corporate board of like vampires and vultures who are running this. It's basically like a stand-in for Disney, right? I forget what the name of the company is, but it's supposed to be Disney. Yeah. And um, Mubi, Mubi, right? Mubi, and yeah. Egg Mubi Muffin. The Egg Mubi Muffin. <laughs> and, um, and he basically says like, you lead lives of, you leave lives of comfortable secrecy, obscured even from each other. And that's how I feel about the Academy. These people are, are just like these weird demons that just that, that live this <laughs> cloistered, quiet life where they don't have to. And I realize right now I'm probably fucking over piecing it together's chances of ever being like, you know, getting like early release, like whatever PR shit from them, from the Academy. 
But uh, I just have I just have to make sure to never mention Bird Road ever again on the show. So <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that'll be hard considering you never mentioned Bird Road on the show. I did last week. Actually, I, I mentioned the uh, live show. Um, so that, that it reminds me of that, and I, I don't like groups like that, man. It's very Bilderberg. It's very um, Bo- Bohemian Grove. It's very like I don't like groups of power and influence that are cloistered and completely unaccountable and set cultural tones that would that's the thing if these guys were just doing if these guys were just trading carbon futures or some shit like that which is problematic in its own way but like and has real world impacts that i i shouldn't diminish by by diminishing it the way that i'm doing it right now but if they were doing something else and and just reaping all of their influence power and money in something that's not movies and doing it quietly without any oversight like you know it's not forgivable but like okay whatever but the fact that the thing that they're doing is setting cultural tones which Mm -hmm. i'm a big fan of of the idea that that culture leads not politics not policy not anything culture leads culture is the thing that that leads politics culture is the thing that leads uh you know that 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 leads um policy it's the thing that leads uh conversations and leads leadership like leaders that we elect are results of culture they're not creators of culture you know barack obama was a result of a culture oh yeah donald trump is the result of a culture Mm -hmm. and and uh, and the fact that this preeminent group is out there not considering a movie like first reformed or Ethan Hawke or what's another example. Like give me another, another movie in recent memory where they just didn't have a good PR campaign that got in and was probably actually, I got one. I got one for you right fucking now. Good time last year. Robert Pattinson's performance wasn't even in the conversation. That guy should have been. Yeah, absolutely. That guy probably should have won. I can't, really remember what was out in 2017 it was kind of a shit year for movies right it was I mean, yeah it i mean well it wasn't a shit year but there it was be- his performance was better than any of the five that were nominated i mean i think about a lot of the movies dude the ones that i always make fun of the fucking little dog in the black and white movie fucking terrible who's watching yeah, no. that movie anymore nobody's watching Nobody. that fucking movie who the uh, crash right i mean oh god oh. gary oldman won for darkest hour last year and I mean, Gary Oldman's a you know a great actor and all. But, yeah, that's I mean, a career. That, that's a career thing. That's you know? one of those career ones. It's so ridiculous when that happens. Shape of Water. I realize every, people love that movie. Nobody's going to talk about that movie in a couple of years. Like that movie's it's not that good. It's a it's a gimmick movie that's going to be gone. Um, Moonlight, I think, is is a timeless movie. Uh, Spotlight was just a a good movie but not better than any of the other movies that are like it um the revenant probably should have won that year the revenant was so fucking good the revenant made me want to like get up and leave it was too hard to watch (laughs) or even mad max was better than that mad max was better yeah i'd vote i'd vote for mad max over the revenant birdman was not that great honestly upon rewatch Whiplash. I love. I love Birdman. I have or Grand seen Budapest it in a while. Hotel. Either uh, one of those. Oh, I fucking yeah. Grand Budapest was so goddamn good. I I love that movie. Twelve Years a Slave. I know it's an important movie, but come on. 
Yeah. Nobody's going to remember that movie. That was not a great movie. Argo. Nobody remembers Argo. Argo (laughs) was a movie that was fine. It was just fine. It was not that great. I'm looking down the list. There was nothing that great that year. Lincoln was a fucking snooze fest. Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, my God. Watch Zero Dark Thirty today. And, like, holy shit, it's a horrifying movie to watch today. Silver Linings Playbook was good. That was a good movie. Yeah. But that guy's... What's that, what's that, Andrew? What's that, what's that uh, director's name that you love? Um, uh, 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 God, I haven't liked one of his movies in a while, so I'm forgetting his name now. <laughs> David O. Russell. Okay, so let me tell you something. It's a funny story. I thought you would appreciate this. Um, I, You know, Hulu cues things up right after you're done with something. Um, mm-hmm. I was watching something where the next queue up was Boogie Nights. Incredible movie. Probably, oh, yeah. I think, that's his best movie, right? I mean, isn't that David O. Russell's that, best that's, movie? No, that's Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay, all right. So my point still stands. Paul Thomas Anderson and David O. Russell have the same thing where things used to happen in their movies. In Boogie Nights, there are actual like actions like things happen people like <laughs> uh, uh, like the awkwardness of a weird quirky situation builds up until um you know William H. Macy kills himself and, and murders his wife right and a thing right. happens they don't like a lot of these movies now like a thing doesn't end up happening it's all very defanged <laughs> it's all very like safe and quiet and thoughtful uh, I mean like what year did the master come out to? The master should have won an Oscar. Why? I don't even see yeah. the master here anywhere. I don't think it was nominated for like much of anything. Insane. Uh, except Walking Phoenix was nominated. But tell me yeah. one, Dave. Tell me you are the movie expert that I know. Okay, you're the movie the expert that I, that 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 I know. Tell me one single thing that happens. Give me one line of dialogue from the King's speech. Just one. Tell me one thing. <laughs> one best movie right. eight years ago. That's just a, 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 a like a breath ago. Eight years is nothing. Name one thing that happened in the artist. I know. Don't mention Trust the dog. Me, I know. Don't mention the dog and, and tell me one thing that happened in the artist. And a few years from now, we're going to be talking about Green Book. Damn. Or maybe Roma, but <laughs> Roma would be a better choice. I'm okay books, for Roma. So. All right for Roma. Yeah, I'm okay with Roma winning. Although, I don't know if it's best picture, best cinematography, sure, but best picture, I don't know. But it is. It, I'll I'll survive if Roma wins. <laughs> mm-hmm.